Welcome. You found the People of Chattanooga podcast. I'm your host, Luke Swab, and today I have Matt McLelland on the show. He is an innovation strategist at Covenant Transportation, uh, but he may be more well-known as Chad the Van on Instagram. He is an overall outdoor enthusiast. He is uh, decent at all, but master of none. Those are his words, not mine. And uh, we talk about hang gliding, trail running, scuba diving, um, and a lot of the history of Chattanooga and how it's grown in the last 20 years or so. Um, he's lived here forever. So uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Matt McLelland. And we are live recording. I'm here with Matt McLelland. Did I do it right? You did do it great. It's great. And it's glad to be here. Well, thanks for coming. You have an island named after you. I do, but it's um, those are the other McClellans, you know, the ones that uh, were the founding fathers of Chattanooga, people that were here in the 1800s, and that's not us. Those McClellans have, um, I don't know, more zeros in their bank account than I do. Have, have you? Because <laughs> there's McClellan Building and downtown and McClellan Island. And Are you, you, know, fr- the, are you from Chattanooga, at least? Uh, you know what? That's a great question. I am and I'm not. I am in the sense that if you ask me where I'm from, I'll say Chattanooga, but I didn't move here until I was in high school. So when I was a senior in high school, I moved here and have basically been here ever since. Yeah. I went away to college, but have been here ever since. Where'd you go to college? Georgia, University of Georgia. Go dogs, sort of. <laughs> I was born in Athens, which is interesting because that's, you know, University of Georgia. My dad was there in the 70s getting his PhD and somehow I ended back there as an adult or as a college student. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you do for a living? Oh, wow. So Luke, I'm 50, right? And yeah. I've been in it for a long time, but somehow in the last couple of years, I've kind of gotten in this little niche of innovation. So innovation is, um, basically the way I define it is significant positive change. And so I was hired a couple of years ago, um, for a publicly traded trucking company here in Chattanooga called covenant transport. And we are a long haul carrier. So we have 3,000 trucks and about 8,000 trailers. And uh, it's a really interesting business. You know, it doesn't sound like it is, but um, it's trucks and truck drivers and truck stops and moving fruits and vegetables and crates and boxes and things like that. But it's how the world moves, right? And so when you're really starting understanding how freight gets from point A to point B, especially today where you can go on your phone and order a you know, whatever, order a bag of Cheetos and have it delivered to your front step the next day. There's a lot that happens and working for a trucking company is interesting. So in in my role as an innovation strategist for the company, it's my job to get up every day and think about how we're going to be moving freight two, three, four years from now. So for example, um, what is our approach to sustainability, uh, alternative fuels, electric trucks, hydrogen trucks, um, software that you can buy that will help automatically figure out ways to eliminate empty miles where you're driving around with nothing in the truck. Um, you know, so stuff like that. I, I'm, you know, kind of future boy, I guess. Is um, um, autonomous driving in your scope? Are you looking that far down the road? Or Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. In fact, I've been out to Silicon Valley several times evaluating different pieces of technology that, you know, it, it's a long, we could have an entire podcast on autonomous sure. driving. We should yeah. do that sometime. We should. Yeah, but it's... Um, you know, for the long haul trucking market, it's years and years and years away. I think probably where we're going to see it first and the types of things that I've been looking at are a truck gets off of an exit, gets on the interstate and drives in a straight line for five or six or seven hours. That's the easiest type of autonomous driving. Ever. Oh, for sure. That- yeah. So I, I, I think that's coming in the not too distant future, but it's five years out. Five years. Have you been in the Tesla semi? I have been next to it and I've sat in it, but uh-huh. we didn't get to drive it. Okay. No. Oh, it's so cool. Was it the working prototype? It was the working prototype. I think there's two of them. What was it? The black one? Uh, no, it was the red one. Red one? And okay. it's weird because the driver's seat is right in the middle. Right in the middle. Right in the middle. And so some, I think some of our drivers are going to love it, and some of the old school guys and girls are going to hate it. Yeah, it's just very different. Well, that's Tesla's like whole thing. There's a lot of people that hate them, a lot of people that love them, especially oh, yeah. you know in that t- cyber truck that's coming out. That's like. I pre-ordered one. Me too. We talked about that. We you did? did? Yeah. We- <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that was a hundred dollars, you know? Yep. I'm like number 600,000. Yeah. Are you, are you like 
I don't know. I don't know what number I am, but uh, I just did it in spring. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, I'm phasing out of my Volkswagen. So. Yeah, 2022 is when you know they sort of think that we're going to get them. So that's about the time that my son will start driving, and so he'll get my car, and hopefully all those planets will line up. There you go. Yeah. Um. So we met. I first heard of you on Instagram because I like van life stuff, and yep. I started following you on on Instagram, and then I saw you at Justin's shop, and I said, yep. "Oh, you're Chad the Van." Site Seven. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out Justin Ship Site Seven Camper Vans. Mm-hmm. And then we randomly met again on dirt bikes. We did. Over on with, Seth's property. Yep. With another one of your previous guests, um, Seth Cathy, yep. local artist and um, man of many talents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we met, um, yeah, we ride motorcycles. So I, it sounds like we like doing exactly the same stuff. Yes. We, w- there's a lot of that. We went paddleboarding mm-hmm. uh, a couple weeks ago. In fact, um, yeah, I think our garages are probably filled with the same equipment. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun to see what you have in your garage. Yeah. So how'd you get into the van thing? Oh, you know, so there's a guy here in town, pretty famous guy by Chattanooga standards, Dawson Wheeler. Mm-hmm. Um, Dawson and his partner Marvin, well, partner, business partner Marvin started uh, Rock Creek Outfitters, I don't know, back in the 80s, I guess. And I remember Clear's Day, I was working for a different company. I was driving down Amnicola Highway. And I saw this big, giant four-wheel drive Mercedes Sprinter van um, parked in front of the Rock Creek on Amnicola. And the back doors were open, and there were all these sort of people in the parking lot, right, outside sort of looking at this thing. And I did a U-turn, illegal U-turn in the middle of the road, and went back because I knew a couple of people that were standing out there. That was when I first kind of, when I thought, man, I could do this. This is real. Of course, it was empty. He had just picked it up from the dealership. Um, Luke and it was um, it was just a sheet metal empty cargo van and he started talking about the kind of things that he wanted to do with it and the places that he wanted to go I went home that night and I said sweetie to my wife Patricia who um, is wonderful we'll talk about her later um, and said we're gonna we got to do a van yeah so that's kind of where it started I mean I've been looking at it for a long time but that was kind of when it became real. Mm-hmm. That kind of happened to me the other day. My my buddy Tyler just picked up a van, and uh, I like opened the doors, went inside, and I'm like, "Oh shoot, I got to do this." I know um, it's hard. it's addictive. We it's... just we just put in. He put a bed in it, and we just put in the fantastic fan, the roof vent. So did you help him drill yeah. the first hole? He was nervous cutting it, so that's yeah. why I ah, just come over here. I'll cut a hole in your van. So yeah, I put the first holes in the roof and. He's going now, so. Yeah, well, you know, when Justin Shipp helped me, so so I did most of my own build. Okay. And Justin helped me with a number of things. In fact, I called him yesterday about, Justin, I'm trying to figure out how to do this. What do you think? So I, I give Justin credit for giving me a lot of guidance, but I pretty much did most of it myself. And I remember clear as day, drilling that first hole in the roof. Like, here's a perfectly good vehicle, and I've got to drill a hole. In fact, if, if you look at my Instagram page, um, uh, Chad the van, which is what it is. Um, I think if you go way back to the beginning, I recorded it and the, the video is out there. And, uh, anyway, it was, it was scary, but man, once you do it the first time, then the next hole becomes easier and easier. And then all of a sudden you're running wire and tapping into the gas tank and it just becomes less of a black box, you mm-hmm. know, less of a big mystery and more of a, you know, just more of something you're comfortable with. And it was amazing to me how thin the metal r- was. I know. I'm like, whoa, crazy? this roof is pretty thin. Yeah. And it's, then you've got to remember to like all those little metal shavings yeah, that come off. It, I don't yeah. want to like, geek up on weird stuff here, but you know, those things can cause rust. So you have to make sure to get them off. And then you've got to put primer on the cut metal surfaces so it doesn't start to rust. Um, yeah. It, it's been a lot of fun. It's um, so I finished it. I don't know. They're never really done, Luke. I don't you know. think so. Um, yeah. But I took my first trip in it. Let's see, I started it in early 2018. Took my first trip that summer. And I don't know, every month the Amazon box shows up and I do something else to it. <laughs> what was the last mod you did on your van? Uh, Justin helped me build a handle that I can grab onto, more my wife can grab onto when you're climbing up. Because, you know, this is a four-wheel drive van. It's up off the ground. It's a nice little step. Some people have these cool little steps that slide out when you open the door. I don't have that. So we built this handle. Um, yeah, that was the last thing we did. Nice. Yeah. Small, a small thing. Oh, you know, I also put up a hand sanitizer. Look, I found a commercial grade hand sanitizer, I mounted that to the cabinet. And I was so proud of that. That was like a $12 thing. 
And this was before COVID. I put it in before COVID. What what makes thing. what makes hand sanitizer commercial grade? Uh, well, it's you know you have a little pump thing on the side of your sink at your house. This is yeah. one that mounts on the wall. Oh, like in a public bathroom. Yeah, like in a public yeah. bathroom. Yeah. Oh, super cool. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So you know, um, I'm getting suspension that's coming next. But I mean, again, we talk for hours of van stuff. But I think what's cool about doing it yourself is you know where everything is. So if you're you know, like we were this summer and my son and I were out in Jackson Hole. We were boondocking, which means you're camping in, in, a, in a non-campsite, right? So you drive down dirt road, you get off. And, and all of a sudden, this electrical piece didn't work for my, for my lights and for the fan. I'm like, I think I know exactly what the problem is. And I, the only reason I knew that was because I had done all the wiring. I knew where the fuse was and I knew what blew and I was able to fix it. Yeah. It would be hard to buy someone else's used van build because you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know anything about it. You know, you're into real estate. It's kind of like that with houses. Yeah, right? with yeah, older houses. That's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I've got this switch that I put in my guest room closet in the top middle of nowhere to control an outdoor light. If I don't tell somebody where that is when I come to sell the house, they're just, they're going to go bananas. So, uh, and I, to your point, the van's the same way. You got to leave that on and then sell the house. <laughs> They'll just unscrew the bulb. They won't know where it is. Yeah. Um, van life. Okay. So what have, have you been on any cool trips with it? Any big trips out West or anything? Oh yeah. You know, the van is great. So this weekend, in fact, when you and I finish recording this, I'm headed to meet a buddy of mine up, up at the Ocoee and, uh, we're going to camp for a couple of nights up there and go mountain biking. And, um, my wife's working this weekend. So I kind of have a hall pass to go do that. My son's got plans. Um, this summer, we were gone for almost a month. So my son and I left Chattanooga in probably mid-July, early July, and drove out to Jackson Hole to meet up with a good buddy of mine here in Chattanooga, Clay Watson, who's a van guy as well. And um, we summited Grand Teton. And after we did that, we hung out there for a few more days because, as you know, you've probably been there. There's so much to do. And then we drove down to Colorado Springs, picked up my wife. She flew in. And took the van over to Crested Butte and stayed next to a river in the middle of nowhere um, for three or four nights. And then um, stayed with some friends for a few nights. Then drove down to Telluride and stayed in the middle of nowhere in Telluride. And just, you know, it's great. You know, it was funny, Luke, because the great thing about some of these van trips is you kind of have a general idea of where you're going and what you're going to do. But you can like, hey, I really like it here. Let's stay an extra day. Or okay, this isn't everything I thought it was going to be. Let's leave early, which is, um, which, which we've done before. And, uh, yeah, you mean, you just have total control of your schedule. I love it. Mm-hmm. It probably drives some people nuts. You know, they kind of need an itinerary and itineraries are important, but with the van, you, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. I, I just like that you always have your house with you and I've done quite a lot of motorcycle touring, but um, you still had to find a place to camp or a hotel at the end of the day. And But with the van, I just love that idea. of You, you don't have to worry about that at all. You can be in a rest stop or you can be in Walmart parking lot and you're 100% good yep. to go. But the motorcycle, it's getting dark and it's like, uh, I don't know if we can camp here. Not sure on whose property this is, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and you know it's funny because when I'm when I'm doing it alone, it's a lot easier to kind of wing it. But when my wife's with me, you know, she's a little bit more of a nester, right? So having it you know, when it gets to be five o'clock, where are we going to spend the night? You know, it, it's a little bit easier to, you know, it, I feel better kind of having a, a good idea of where we're going to go. Like, oh, honey, we're going down this dirt road, and I know there's a spot at the end of it, or we've got a campsite reserved at mm-hmm. you know campsite X Y Z, which we did do some of that. Yeah. Do you yeah. prefer the campsite or the, the boondocking? Uh, that's a great question. I, is it fair to say both? Pros and cons. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think a, a good solid campsite. So, for example, in Crested Butte, we did stay at a traditional campsite for two nights. It was right by a river. had a, a you know, place to take a shower, a place to do dishes. It was, it was a little bit of a country club. And that was great, right? But then the next night we were, you know, at the end of a dirt road, um, off in the woods, kind of away from people and away from lights and away from traffic and, uh, right next to a Creek. So, and that was cool too. What, what do you do for a bathroom? Uh, I have a little cassette toilet so that for people that don't know, it's like a, um, business in the top 
um, stuff in the bottom. It's uh, two compartments. You sort of take care of business. When you're done, you pull a lever and it all falls into a lower container that's all sealed off and doesn't smell. And, you know, we keep that in the van. It doesn't smell or anything. And then when you are at a campsite, just kind of put is, it outside. Is it the little container? Is that a one-time use? So no, 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 you can use it till it's um, full. Full, I know. <laughs> so it's kind funny. of a yeah. So that's that. Okay. <laughs> and then what about showering? Do you have an outdoor shower? Some of these I vans, do have an outdoor like shower. Like a hose you hook up. Yep. So I have a, a ten-gallon tank on the top that um, you pressurize. You can take a called a ship shower. I mean, you own a boat, so you yeah. know what that's like. You hose off, you yeah. soap up, and then you hose off, and then you um, try to use as little water as possible. Right. Uh, you know, what's funny is I've taken, I've been on, you know, probably four big, you know, two, three week, four week West coast trips and, you know, not having a shower on the inside of the van. And some people do, we just don't, um, has never really been a problem. And it's not because we didn't bathe. We've just always, you know, been on near a river or been able to go swimming or been able to have a shower at a campsite and one thing that you'll learn the more people that you talk to that are in the van community is there's this sort of, you know, you just help each other out. So, you know, I went to a campsite one time and there was a guy in this big RV and he was looking at my wife and I and we were kind of getting the outdoor shower set up. And he came uh. over and said, hey, man, y'all want to take a real shower? And I was like, yeah, we'll take a real shower. And so he let us use this giant RV. I think it was, you know, the bathroom was nicer than the one in my house. Yeah, some of those <laughs> RVs have two bathrooms now. Marble countertops and king-size beds and washers and dryer. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I saw one. I like going to these RV shows just to look around. They're fun. I saw one that had a built-in coffee maker that came up out of the cabinet. And it's uh, the countertop and it's sitting there and then it just goes right back down when you don't use it. Yeah. It's, that's not camping. You know, one question I get a lot. <laughs> that's, is, that's living. I know that is living. Um, is well, what's the difference between an RV and a van? And it's funny cause you're one of your other guests, Justin ship. We've talked about that. Yeah. And, um, for me, it's a, uh, does it have, does it have a bathroom or not? Like does it have, if it doesn't have a bathroom or shower, then it's a camper van. Now that might not be, I think legally there's some definitions, you know, for insurance purposes about what an RV is. But for me, if it, if it, you know, if it, if it doesn't have a bathroom, it's a, it's a camper, it's a van. Yeah. And do you cook inside your van? You know, I can, but I don't. Yeah. That's... I make oatmeal and coffee, sure. but I don't want my van smell like food. And you know, yeah. the van's purpose is to get me somewhere beautiful that I want to be. And as long as it's not raining, I want to be outside. So I pop the awning out and I cook outside under the awning. It's the van is yeah the van is more in my opinion like a, a like a hard shell tent that you just always have and gear locker. Yeah, that's exactly how I would look at it. Now um, I'm gonna hijack the conversation here for a second. Do it. So so if you look at a lot of van life stuff on Instagram, which you know for me is you know Instagram is a lot of things. For me, it's about inspiration. I think for a lot of kids, it's about expectation, right? Where sure. this is what life is like. But for me, it's inspiration. And so you look at all these van pictures and there's like that traditional, like really good looking girl in a bikini who's making a four course meal on a stove inside a van with a glass of wine and a little dog and her, you know, boyfriend who looks like a surfer and has long hair. And like th those, those pictures just aren't real. Right. And cooking an elaborate meal inside a van. I mean, for if that picture was real, her van would smell like fajitas for two <laughs> weeks. And so it's just such a small space. Right. So, yeah, I don't cook inside the van. Is, do you have the long one? Do you, how is parking that thing? Can you park in a regular parking? I've got the short one. You have the short one. Yeah. yeah okay. I've got the short one. So um, so I have a Sprinter. Right. Yeah. So there's um, two sizes. Technically, there's three. There's uh, the 144, which is the wheelbase. That means it's 144 inches between the center of the front wheel and the back wheel. Mm -hmm. Then there's a 170, which, you know, is about two and a half feet longer. And then, um, do you know, do you know Gaston Farmer? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, Gaston's a great guy. He works at the land trust, Little Lake Land Trust on Lookout Mountain. And Gaston has a, um, what's called a 170 extended. So his is four and a half feet longer than mine, which... By van standards, is like a penthouse. It's huge. I've been. I got lost in it. It's oh, huge. the first time I got in it, I mean, it feels three times the size of mine. And when he got it, um, he was driving all over the country as a 
as a rep, as an outdoor rep. And, you know, he needed all that space to carry things and to sleep in. But, um, yeah, mine can fit in a normal parking spot. In fact, my, um, my, my friends make fun of me like, oh, that thing's so big. And one of our neighbors, she has a Ford Expedition or Excursion. That's mm-hmm. the big one. Yeah. She is two inches longer than my van. She's like, I, I don't believe it. And I said, let's park them side by side. And, you know, sure enough. Now you mentioned uh, Lula Lake Land Trust. Yeah. Now I you're involved with that. I'm right? on the board of directors. Can, so um, yeah. Can you can we talk about Lula Lake a little bit? Yeah. So Lula Lake um, has a great history. It was, um, you know, the the whole one of the main ideas behind the land trust is you know appreciation for the land. It's a model for conservation easement. It's a, got educational components, teaching kids and adults to not just appreciate the outdoors, but to kind of understand native plants and animals and things like that. And so we have a core property on Lookout Mountain um, that a lot of people just sort of say, oh, that's the land trust and several thousand acre. We just had a new sort of addition of 350 acres. We just added to what's called the core property. It's where the big waterfall is that most people are familiar with. But what we've done over the years, Luke, is piece together a network of land and easements to help create a trail system that will connect all the way to Cloudland Canyon on the back of the mountain. And so, um, in fact, one day in the not too distant future, it'll connect all the way to downtown. So theoretically from where we're sitting here in the South side, you could get on the river walk and go all the way to Cloudland Canyon, which is like, I don't know, 40 miles away on on a trail system that is a combination of river walk, Lookout Mountain Conservancy, Little Lake Land Trust for a large piece of it, and then of course state park and state land. What are some of the missing components to that? Um, just building building trail system. You know, the trail just doesn't exist yet. We may own the property. Um, you know, there's one piece we're still kind of waiting on an easement to kind of come through. Uh, what we'll do is we'll, one of the things we do is we work with landowners to help them understand the value of conservation easements and sort of how that works. And so, um, you know, sometimes we'll have permanent easements, trail easements through property, through private property. So it's really interesting and a lot of fun. And if you're, um, you're listening to the podcast, you know, we're open the first and last weekend of every month. Yeah. Um, so there's a reservation system. You go to the website, you make a reservation. And um, the reason you have to make a reservation is because so many people want to come out and we want to control, um, you know, the parking lot where you park is only so big. And we also want to make sure that the experience is a little boutique and so that you can go out there and enjoy the property and not like have people everywhere. So why, why is it only open twice a month? Um, just the, our staff, you know, we don't, we have to staff it. And so for, um, you know, for everything from insurance reasons, just to be able to make sure that people can have questions answered. Um, and, and plus, the, you know, it's possible to, and I don't know, it'd be kind of fun to pivot this conversation and talk about the outdoors a little bit. You know, there's this expression that um, Mike Pollock, our old executive director, said um, one time, it's possible to love something to death. And I think that um, if you use property too much, like anything, it just, you know, wear and tear and, you know, trails get abused and trash starts to accumulate. And, um, and I think that controlled access to it, um, helps keeps it more pristine. Um, so that's probably one of the reasons as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been out there, right? One time. Yep. It's so funny. I remember the first time I took somebody out there to see the waterfall, Yeah. which, you know, you're in Chattanooga, Tennessee, right? You don't expect to see a 110 foot waterfall. Um, within what, 20 minutes of downtown Chattanooga. It's 20 minutes from where we're sitting right now. We could be looking at this giant waterfall. Well, that's why Chattanooga is so cool. 20 minutes anywhere from Chattanooga. There's so many spots. Oh yeah. I mean, you could be supping on the river. Uh, I could be hang gliding off the back of lookout, which I do that a lot. You could be, you know, in 45 minutes from now, you could be at the Ocoee. Um, you could be mountain biking on Raccoon Mountain. I mean, if you live in Chattanooga and don't have an outdoor <laughs> hobby, <laughs> um, you should. You should. At least one. Yeah. You and I have like 12. You were telling me off air that you had a friend that w- was looking for a hobby. I, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. We were, we were having lunch one day and he said, and you know, he had a couple of kids and a pretty demanding job. And he said, you know, I need a, I need a hobby. Like what would, what would you do? Like, I need you to help me, Matt, think, think about helping me have a hobby. And I just, I, I sort of chuckled. I was like, Frank, 
<laughs> there's like a hundred things that I can think of right now. I mean, and, and ultimately he picked up fishing, fly fishing with his son. Oh, that's a know? good one. Yeah. So that's kind of what he really ended up enjoying. But, you know, for me, and I get this question a lot because I do a lot of stuff outdoors. Um, there's so much to do here, Luke. I mean, um, I started flying hang gliders in the, in around the mid nineties. Um, I dive at the aquarium as a volunteer. Um, my wife and I've started stand up paddle boarding when the last two or three years, I mean, there's so much water around here, both still and moving. Um, the trail bike, I mean, the trail running community is pretty big and, and I'm, I'm on the board of directors of wild trails and there's some great people kind of involved with that. And, People like, um, you know, Jenny Kelly and Robin Crump, they have the Rock Creek Trail Adventure Series. And so there's, you know, there's trail races around here, Wild Trails, the organization I'm on the board for, we put on trail races. Um, mountain biking, road biking. I mean, it, but the only thing you can't do here is ski. I know. That's, I know. <laughs> but that's, you know, Mother Nature. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only thing. I do miss that. I grew up skiing, so... I but literally, that. I think you can do almost everything else. I think um, rock climbing. There's no 14ers. You know, you can't like yeah. climb a 14er, but. Yeah, but we're, we're pretty spoiled here. Yeah. But, and oh, okay, great point. You mentioned rock climbing. I can't believe I left that out. So rock climbing. I mean, we're a Caving. Mecca. You left caving out. Yeah. I mean, but we're a Mecca for rock climbing. There, so this is an interesting story. Um, we were in um, Grand Teton National Park. Um, my wife and son and I summited it a couple years ago. And there was this... Um, girl that we met at a campsite, girl and her boyfriend. And we just making small talk over dinner one night. And where are you from? Like, oh, we're from Illinois. What about y'all? Like, oh, we're from Chattanooga, Tennessee. She said, oh, I'm coming to Chattanooga. In a month, there's a, there's a women's rock climbing festival in October. She said, do you know any place that, like, I could camp in October? She's like, I was like, well, you could just stay with us. You know I mean? We got an empty room and y'all seem like great people. Like, come on. Oh, she said, it's not going to be just it's going to be me and a friend. We could camp in your yard. I'm like, or you could stay in our guest room. (laughs) (laughs) And so she did, she called us in a month and, you know, she came here and she said that, you know, nationally Chattanooga is just a a Mecca. It's a spot that everybody wants to end up at at one point. Yeah. And it's, so how long have you been here? When did you get here? Uh, 87. 87. So, um, now, now it's a Mecca. It probably always has been, but, um, it, how do I describe this? Chattanooga has changed a lot since you've gotten here in 87. And I'll even go back a little further. I didn't, this is a little, um, so I actually lived here. I actually lived here in the early seventies. So from like 1972 to 78, we were Hmm. here and then we left. But back in the early set, late 60s, early 70s, I mean, you've heard this before, Chattanooga was the dirtiest city in America. They called it the stink. Yeah. I mean, Walter Cronkite came on the news one night. In fact, I think if you Google it on YouTube, you can see it. He just says, and from Chattanooga, Tennessee, the dirtiest city in the country. And it was, you know, there was just a lot of manufacturing and just, you know, there were, the EPA didn't exist the way it does today. And there's pollution everywhere. And now it's the most desirable place, you know, outside magazine, top, you know, top 10, top five, number one, twice in um, two years in 2013 and 15 or 2011 and 13. I think we were the best town ever for outdoor cities. So, yeah, we've come a long way. Yeah. So have you have you been a part of that at all? This, Um, you know, about. 20 years ago, there was an initiative called Outdoor Chattanooga where um, some city leaders got some people together. Um, I mentioned Dawson Wheeler earlier, uh, Marvin. They were big in the early days because of their, um, you know, because of Rock Creek. And they got, you know, all of the the cavers and the rock climbers all together. And they just sort of had this series of, of meetings at night and just said, in a perfect world, what would you need for your sport to, to thrive? And so we had, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 meetings. They were all led by this consultant that was kind of worked with cities, municipalities, trying to figure out who they were, what their identity was. And so it's a longer story, but part of the outcome of that was this thing called Outdoor Chattanooga, which is technically part of um, Parks and Recreation now. And, um, you know, the city's done a lot to kind of promote it um, over the years through the Chamber of Commerce and Outdoor Chattanooga and, you know, organically it gets picked up, you know, in different magazines and such. So, I mean, 
I was around in the beginning days and, you know, you know, raised my hand and asked questions and provided input in the beginning, but it was really no one person. It was a lot of work by a lot of people. I think, um, all volunteer, you know, all people that were just sort of showed up and, and were passionate about it. I think the river trail, um, has been a big part of it. I think that's really important. Um, The river walk, the river walk. Yeah. 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 That's been huge. Yeah. Um, and uh, also, the, I think the Tennessee Aquarium was kind of... Um, yep. Can you tell me about that? Do you know about the Tennessee Aquarium being built? And Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny, to, um, Luke, back... I mean, downtown Chattanooga was sketchy mm-hmm. at one point in, you know, 20, 25 years ago. I mean, you didn't want to go downtown after dark. You know, uh, Ross's Landing in the river wasn't clean. There was kind of nefarious activity going on down there. It is not the downtown that we know today. So, you know, if you go back and you look at some of these Chattanooga history books and websites, like who the founding fathers were, people whose last name were McClellan, but not mine, Mm -hmm. you know, and Jack Lupton and some of these other sort of famous types, they um, got together and worked with the city. And I I remember as the story goes, you know, Jack Lupton, said, I want to put a fish tank in downtown Chattanooga. And he had seen how an aquarium had impacted, I don't know, maybe it was Philadelphia. Probably going to get that wrong. It was a city that an aquarium in a, in a questionable part of town really was the footprint of, of the regentrification of it. And so he put up half the money or committed to put up half the money. And they, the city came up with the other half through a num- number of different ways. And they secured the property and built the first version, you know, the first, the main building. Um, and it, it's been a big part of what's cleaned up downtown Chattanooga. I mean, that was what, mid, I mean, it was probably the late 80s, early 90s, I think is probably when that opened up. I started diving there in 97 um, as a volunteer. And then sometime in the early 2000s, they built the shark, you know, the, the, ocean, the ocean journey um, part of the building. Um, which is where the shark tanks are now. And uh, yeah, aquarium's fantastic. Love the aquarium. What's it like to dive in the aquarium? Um, so that's a great question. How can I describe that? I think the coolest thing for me as somebody who's been diving for 25 years is the fact that I can be sitting at my desk at work or at home these days, right? No home office. And I can get in my car and within 40 minutes, I can be 30 feet underwater with a giant six foot long shark swinging over my head and just the juxtaposition of going from one environment to another, even being like on a phone call, like, okay, guys, I got a hard stop at five o'clock cause I got to go diving. Like what, you know, and, and you know, 45 minutes later I'll be underwater. Um, it's such a controlled environment and such a safe place. Like being around sharks doesn't really scare me. Ironically, the most aggressive fish in the tank is the smallest fish in the tank. It's this little thing called Sergeant Major. And they're very territorial. And if you get close to where they're laying eggs, they just come up and nip at you. <laughs> and, you know, they don't have teeth or anything, but um, they can just nip, 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 nip. And, um, yeah, that's about the, the biggest thing that's ever happened to me is getting nipped by a, a fish the size of my fish have, fist. Have, now, have you, um, have you ever dove in the Tennessee River? Um, one time. And it was a very anticlimactic experience. Not, you know, you just can't see your hand in front of your face. It's just, I think there's some like three days a year when the water's still and you can go down and maybe see, you know, 10 feet. I saw someone diving this weekend. Oh, I, you know what? I river. saw your, um, I saw your video on, yeah. um, on Instagram. Yeah. I th- I'm, I'm looking at this boat and I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's a dive buoy over by but, Williams Island. Right. Uh, uh, no, by the Alton, the Alton plant or factory all stum all stum the, all, yeah. right okay they were right there right off of the river trail the river walk and uh i i yell over are you guys diving They're like yeah we do this all summer long we like to uh what exactly did she say it's our way of getting away from the world i think is what she said I mean, like I, I guess in a murky i mean i bet there's all kinds of crazy things that you know people drop mm-hmm. maybe if you were to dive under the Walnut Street Bridge. I yeah, bet. I mean, well, this who is knows this was right by those uh, those um, like the loading docks yeah. or whatever. So you know, whatever they drop over 
there. Yeah. I've always heard it's not as deep as you think it is. Yeah. Like maybe if you're out in the middle of the channel, it's like maybe 30 deep feet deep. I heard 15. Yeah. Uh, in some like, places. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Randy, um, Wharton. Wharton. Yeah. Yeah. Who does the wild trails. Yep. He was trying to get Red Bull to do their high diving off of the walking bridge. <laughs> Have you heard of this? He was, he was, and they were, they liked the idea, but, um, after he did more research, you're like, it's not deep enough. It's only 15 foot there. Oh, wow. And, and if it was flood stage, it'd be deep enough. Right. But, um, that's a, that's a shame. That would've been real cool to have, uh, the high diving, yeah. Red Bull high diving events off the walking bridge. You know, um, he's probably getting mad at me for saying this, but he does, he may not listen to this podcast, so I can drop his that's name, fine. but there's this friend of mine, um, here in town, um, Joseph Wingfield. <laughs> Joseph is a uh, is a great guy. He's a business owner. He's, he's got comes from a family that's been around here for a long time. But uh, they own this piece of property right across from the aquarium, so it's a big field, um, kind of right across from Green Life. And mm-hmm. so he and his brother lived in a houseboat for for a couple of years before they got married. And um, we had a really high flood stage one time really high flood stage and Joseph and his brother a little crazy sometimes. And he uh, put on a life jacket, went onto the, not the Walnut street bridge, but to market street bridge. And he jumped off into the water, which at that point, because the water was so high, yeah, it's like a 50 foot drop. Right. But normally it's like a hundred foot drop. I yeah. mean, it just, the water was really that high. It was almost to the top of, um, Coolidge park. Mm-hmm. And, um, so he floated downstream and started swimming and he was able to make it over to his houseboat. But people thought he had committed suicide and called the cops and anyway, it got to be a big thing. But yeah, yeah that's the only time I've ever known somebody to jump off the bridge. Yeah, it's not, it's not deep enough. Yeah, so it's not. Don't jump. Don't jump for more reasons than that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's another thing we have around here is uh, you can go cliff jumping. All, there's lots of places oh, yeah. in the river. and Blue hole, the blue hole up at... Um, um, uh, what is the river? They, I mean, there's Saudi? A, so it's in Saudi Daisy. Um, it's just called the blue hole. It's kind of near yeah. the pocket wilderness for bow water. Mm-hmm. Um, my kid goes up there sometimes. Um, cliff jumping in the river, you know, out yeah. at, um, at Lake Chickamauga. Um, there's, um, yeah, there's lots of places. Now you say you like uh, trail running. Have you done any races? Uh, I, I do a tons of race. We got a great race coming up here in a couple of weeks. The, um, the stump jump up on signal mountain. You're going to run it. Yeah. It's a 10 K and a 50 K I'm doing the 10 K cause you know, I'm that guy. Okay. And Have you ever done the 50 K? No, no, I've done a lot of marathons and a lot of ultras, but, um, I've never done the stump jump 50 K and we will have people from 20 States come for this race. They'll, some will spend the night in the parking lot. In fact, a couple of years ago when I did it, I took the van up. A friend of mine and I, we stayed in the parking lot and had a little party with a, the other van people, which was a lot of fun. Um, and it's, like I said, it's a great race. It's been going on for a long time. Um, that one's coming up. You know, another big favorite of mine is um, the Lookout Mountain. There's a, um, a 50 miler and a 22 miler. You know, I'll do that one. Um, but yeah, between the Rock Creek trail series and wild trails and a few other organizations, there's always something. So this is good news. I didn't, I assumed, uh, that was going to be canceled. All, all the races I, they canceled the Ironman. Yep. Um, so the stump jump is on. The stump jump is on, you know, there's a lot of social distancing sort of protocols and things in place and the way they deal with the aid stations Mm -hmm. and the way that people have to wear gloves to hand out. Actually, they want to try to. They want you to be as self-sufficient as possible, so they're kind of minimizing. Oh, you know, telling you to bring food and really? snacks and things in your backpack. You know, it's funny. Randy Wharton has this minimalist sort of approach to. Um, he says if you're, you know, if you're going to run an ultra, you need to be self-sufficient. Um, they're still going to offer water for, you know, and, and things, but um, you know, you should be able to carry everything you're going to need. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, there's always a race. You know, COVID did shut down a whole lot of races this year. Um, but they're still having the stump jump. There's a mountain bike race at Little Lake the next weekend that I'm not sure if they've decided if they're going to cancel that or not, but you know, just trying to follow guidelines, you know, from the CDC and try to stay within the, stay within the rails. Yeah. Have you ever won any of these races? Never. And I, it's funny, my kid is 14 and he's great, but he's like a lot of kids they are just competitive. Right. And I'll come back for dad. Did you win? Or, you know, he'll say, because I'll do it sometimes with the dad of one of his friends, did you beat Mr. Coakley? Like, no, I didn't beat Mr. Coakley. 
like, Mr. Kolke's 10 years younger than me and he's a better runner than I am. But dad, you didn't beat him? Like, son, it's not always about winning. For some people it is, and that's great if it is. It's just not for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll win maybe like the women over 70 age group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. Can I say that? You can, <laughs> sure. Um, let's see here. Hang gliding. How, yeah. did, how did you get into hang gliding? You know, that is a great question. I So when you grew up in Chattanooga, it's kind of hard not to know about that. You know, now it's on billboards. Um, people talk about it, but it's an extreme sport, right? And, and it's a lot of people just see it as totally like I could never do that. But I would fantasize about doing that. Um, and I remember I graduated from college and I had about three months before I started my first job because back then you went to college and then you generally found a job before you graduated. And <laughs> that's just it's very different mm-hmm. today, but that's another conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was going to start in three months and I came back home and I had a little bit of a signing bonus for the company that I was going to work for. And, um, my mom said, hey, so what are you going to do? I was like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little dive trip. There's some places in Florida I want to go dive, but I think I'm going to take hang gliding lessons. And so long story short, I started on a Sunday. I soloed on a Friday. Wow. And Lookout Mountain Flight Park right here in our backyard um, is one of the best places to learn in the country, really, for that matter. They just have so many amenities and they've been teaching people for so long. They really get it. They understand how it works. Um, different people learn different ways. Um, young people learn differently than old people. Men learn differently than women, you know, just, they, and they, they know how to deal with all that. And so, like I said, I started on a Monday and you basically, you know, Luke, you, you run off a hill and they teach you how to launch it and land it. And once you can do that, then they teach you how to launch and turn right and then land. And then they teach you how to turn left and land. And if you can accomplish that, then there's no difference between a hundred foot hill and a 1200 foot hill. And so, um, you know, and it's like everything else, you just start slowly and you build over time and you build experience and, and you get context. What I mean by that is you learn about weather and how that affects you talk to other pilots, um, it's very different than the consequences are huge in a hang glider. So you have to have a lot of sort of common sense and a lot of good judgment. And, you know, um, if you mess up or something happens, you know, that 99.9% of the time it is a preventable accident that you could have stopped, um, by using good judgment before you got into a bad situation, which your next question would be, Matt, is everything, anything bad ever happened to you? And the answer is no, because I, uh, well, I twisted my ankle one time landing because the field was wet and I slipped and I twisted an ankle. Um, I have seen people have accidents, but most of the time they were flying in conditions that were beyond their ability. So they probably botched, they botched a landing. I've seen people, uh, what's called blow a launch. And so they, they're running off the side of the mountain and they, they pitch their glider up or they pull it in too far and they end up you know, crashing some trees, but, uh, I've never seen a fatality, you know, never seen anybody die, read about it sometimes. Um, paragliding is starting to get big here in Chattanooga. Um, for a long time we didn't have it, but now we've changed the launch and we've gotten instructors. It's kind of the future of the sport. So now we have paragliding. What one's paragliding? Uh, so it's like a giant parachute, Okay. you know, that flies, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't just go down, you can soar it, um, just like a hang glider. And, um, just, you know, because we have a few minutes here, I, I, the difference between the two is there's one's not better than the other. They're just very different. So yeah. for example, um, a hang glider is 17 ish feet long and is bulky to carry a paraglider can fit as carry on luggage on an airplane. Yeah. You can hike up to the top of the mountain with a paraglider, um, and fly off the top. You can't do that with a hang glider. Um, but hang gliders have some advantages over paragliders too. Um, so it's not that one's better than the other. It's just that they're both different and you just have, and some people do both. We call them, they're bilingual. Bilingual. Yeah. I like, are you bilingual? You know, I started to take paragliding lessons and I just figured, you know, I'd have to buy more equipment and that's expensive and. Yeah, but you could put, pack that away in your van. I've got too many. Yeah, I could, I could, I've got too many hobbies already. And do I really need to do something else? You know, what's interesting, um, Luke with flying is that. That's not the kind of thing you just want to do 
like once every two or three months. You really want to keep your skills current. That, yeah, that makes sense. You know, so um, that's the one thing that I try not to, you know, I always try to do that on a regular enough basis where I'm not getting, you know, rusty. Yeah. So how often do you need, do you fly? To- oh, I try to go about once a week, once every two weeks. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, we live on Lookout Mountain, which is, you know, 20 minutes to the mm-hmm. launch pad. Um, you know, so we jump off the top or you can tow up behind the airplane. If any of your listeners are... Are interested in that you should um um you should uh, go to their website you know i've got a couple of videos i've shot on my instagram page you can look at me in fact i was flying in atlanta this weekend which is interesting because you know, there's no mountains in atlanta yeah you got pulled up by a plane. i got pulled up by a plane yeah there's a friend of mine that has a plane down there so That's that cool. was kind of weird to be flying at 2,000 feet and see atlanta downtown in the distance and then see a jet a little private jet you know a thousand yards away you know, final approach into PDK airport. Yeah. And the pilot looks over at me and I look over at him and I could kind of see him. I mean, maybe one, maybe it's, you could make eye contact. We could make eye. So he was, you know, because I was told to be very careful. Yeah. It's the most busy airport in the world, by the way, is where you're flying by. Right. So, but I was far enough outside what's called the cone. So the FAA has these different cones Mm -hmm. that, um, these circles on a map that are controlled airspace. And so I'm technically outside of that, but they still vector people in through this area that I was flying. And so, um, and, and on a map, it says, you know, be careful of small airplane traffic. So they're, they're used to looking for people, but it's just weird. That's the first time I'd ever been that close to an airplane. That's really weird. I know it was. Now, have you always landed where you planned to land no. when you took off? Okay. No. That's uh-huh. a different question than have you had any accidents? Um, so, you, you know, it's interesting. So You've I, the, had to make some adjustments. Yeah. So I had, let's put it like this. Um, if I take off at lookout, I always land at lookout and that's by design. Um, but there are some times when I think, okay, the conditions are right. Um, I know that there's other people in the air that are, we're probably all going to maybe follow each other because, you know, the idea is when you land somewhere that's away from your car, you got to get, you got to get back, right? You can't just, I mean, I guess you can still thumb a ride somewhere, but nobody's going to pick up a 17 foot hang glider. So, you know, we will launch and say, okay, we're all going to fly somewhere. Let's just go. And somebody, you know, usually leads the way. We kind of all follow each other and we'll end up landing out somewhere. I think the record from Lookout Mountain, a guy landed south of Atlanta. Um, he flew for about nine hours and ended up way down there, which, you know, was weird because, you know, he had to kind of go around the airport. So he kind of went around via Alabama and then kind of barely landed inside the state line. Um, there's been people that have gone to, we go to Alabama on a pretty regular basis. I don't, but 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 people do. Um, I don't think I've ever, I've, I've never, I think maybe one time I ended up landing about a mile away in a farmer's field. Um, I just couldn't get back. The wind had changed. I just couldn't get back to where my car was to the traditional landing field. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. I can't, I'm still thinking that nine hour flight to Atlanta. That's crazy. I know my longest flight it's been about six hours. Um, it was in North Carolina. It was a beautiful day. There's thermals everywhere. Um, it could have been longer. I just kind of got like, okay, I'm tired. I yeah. got, you know, like fit bored or like, I mean, I was, I was thirsty. I, di- I didn't intend to fly that long. I thought it was going to be like a 30 minute flight and just like all the wind gods and goddesses, like we're all they perfect. Were helping that you day. Out. I mean, I had to, I'd use the bathroom. I was hungry. Yeah. Um, I knew that there was going to be people waiting on me. And I figured, you know, six hours is, is enough. I've Especially kind of, when you tell them all half an hour. I know. I know. So it's, it's a great sport. I would have to say, Matt, you do a lot of outdoor things. Where does that sit? I'd say that's top three. Oh, really? Yeah. And what are the other two? Um, uh, my, my wife and I, whitewater kayaks. I really enjoy that. Um, and I love the trail run. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of the, the top three things. I think if I had time for one more thing, I'd love to learn how to fly fish, but you know, have a job and a wife and a kid and a lot of other hobbies and there'll be time for that one day. There'll be time for that. Yeah. I want to go with you. I want to go fishing with you sometime in Alaska. Ah, you don't want to. Yeah. Yeah, I do. You don't want I do. To. I don't want to do it forever. Yeah. I just want to come for a week. Like Luke, yeah. put me to work for a week you, on the boat. You would probably like one week. That's... Would I last a day or am I too soft? No, you'd, uh, I don't know. We'd, we'll see. I, I honestly don't. You'd be fine. 
Okay. I think I, think I would. So. Yeah. I'd probably bug you because I would ask questions. You're I'll, like, Matt, I just need you to work and stop talking I'll, to me. I'll take you I'll take you on a dirt bike ride sometime and and see if you complain. That's <laughs> that's how I can tell. <laughs> That'll be my little uh test. Lit, the litmus test, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there's so much to do around here. Um you know, um I think probably your demographic for your listener base, everybody has a hobby. They do something. Yeah. Right? It's kinda hard to live here and not yeah, you, you know what I was thinking when you mentioned earlier about uh, your friend that was like, I got to find a hobby. I would just recommend if just start walking on the river walk. And then when you get bored, find another trail and just keep going and start exploring your city. Because this city is so, there's so many nooks and crannies that uh, you drive by in your car, you don't even know it's there. You know, there's like a lot of secret little trails around here. Oh, Just yeah. explore. I think, you know, it's funny. I had a friend from California come in town a few weeks ago and he said, I've never seen so many things on top of people's cars in my life. <laughs> there was a hang glider. There was a kayak. There was a flatwater kayak. There was a canoe. There yeah. was a um, stand up paddleboard. There were mountain bikes. There was road bikes. Deer. Did he see a deer? Cause that's, I mean, that happens too. <laughs> that would have been great. Yeah, yeah. To have rounded it out. Um, but you know, it's funny. I, I talked to Rock Creek, I, one of the managers there one time. I was like, how many, what do you sell a lot of, we sell a lot of racks, yep. a whole lot of racks. Yeah. I also see a lot of cars with empty racks too. Yeah. There's some people that maybe it's part of the look, yeah. right? Like I bet there's never been and anything some, some on that really car. nice bumpers on some of these cars too. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you cheat, if you see Chad, the van driving around town, I've got a big Thule box that is empty except when I go to the river. That's why I put all the wet gear in. That's good. And I, uh, it always has something up there mm-hmm. other than the solar panel. So, um, I think the hang uh, the hang glider's up there right now. Is oh, you put the hang glider on the van? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Um, do you daily drive that thing? I can. You but can, I, but you had right to... now. You know, I came to the podcast day in a little Outback Subaru Outback. Okay. You know, it's like the state flower of Chattanooga, the Outback, right? <laughs> There's a lot of Tim them. Kelly, Kelly Subaru. <laughs> There's a lot of them. Um, is Chattanooga uh, getting too crowded? Oh man. Give me trouble <laughs> asking you that question, but you know what? So one of the things about me, Luke, is that uh, you always know where I stand, which <laughs> which is good and bad, right? You're you're the innovator. You look for the future. That's your job. So here's the way I define that: I am not a growth for growth's sake kind of guy, which means I could never be like in charge of the chamber of commerce or something. Cause I just, I don't think that more is better. I mean, every time I drive into Atlanta, like this weekend when I went there and mm. when I was flying over Atlanta, I kept seeing all these new neighborhoods that were just being built. And I'm just thinking, what are all these people doing? Why would people move here? And there's all this traffic and, you know, um, everybody seems to be going to the store to buy something. They don't seem to be doing anything. They're just, you know, driving to Costco or the mall or fast food. And, um, there's just, you know, the, we were flying over Lake Lanier and which is the main water supply for Atlanta and water supply was really low. And my friend that that lived there, we were actually in his airplane. Um, he said, yeah, they, you know, they don't really throttle the growth here. And so Lake Lanier gets really low sometimes because the drinking water just gets, just gets sucked out of it literally. So, you know, as it relates to Chattanooga, you know, I remember five years ago, if I had to be if I was downtown and I had to be on gun barrel road mm-hmm. and I had to be there in 30 minutes, you know, when I would leave 30, 30 minutes, minutes before my meeting. But today I probably have to leave 45 minutes before my meeting because there's traffic and it's not just because there's construction going on in the interstate. It's just, there's people. I mean, there's so many more people here than there were Luke 10 years ago. And you know, to some extent the city becomes better. There's more restaurants and there's more, you know, kind of bars and fun things to do and festivals and, you know, Coolidge Park and, you know, Miller Plaza and all this kind of stuff. But I think we're, I think we're kind of getting close to being full, right? In this, in the sweet spot. That we're in the sweet spot. I just, if no more people moved here, I would be really happy. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that sounds, I don't know. I never know what you can say today without yeah. being politically correct. I, yeah. It's not really judgment. It's just, it's about numbers. And I think that we're kind of in this really great spot where we've got a lot of great restaurants with generally no weight. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you can park on the street and that's another thing I get kind of upset. You got to pay to park everywhere. Um, which is kind of annoying, but we won't go there. So, um, you know, but you don't have to wait for restaurants. You, um, you can still drive and time your drive right. So there's no traffic, but it's, um, we're not far from being too full. What do you, I mean, what do you think? I think we're in the sweet spot. Yeah. We got our whole foods. We have, uh, what are we missing? I don't think, I don't think, I can't think of anything that we are missing. Um, you know, we got a lot of coffee shops. We've mm-hmm. got um, a lot of boutique. I could use more uh, cuisine, 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 more, yeah, yeah, cuisine, um, ethnic, like uh, Ethiopian restaurant. I would really like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, maybe another Mediterranean. Yeah. Um, you know what's funny is you know we're Korean. We're we're filming or filming. We're recording this here in the South Side, and I was I was running downtown the other day. I'm running out main street and I'm looking at all these buildings, like all this construction. And I keep thinking, what do these people do? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. these are like three, four $400,000 condos and units and houses. And, and, um, and I just keep thinking, I feel like I have a pulse on my finger on the pulse of like the job market and tech jobs and, I don't know, social media jobs or whatever it is that everybody does downtown. I mean, Unum is Unum and TVA is TVA and, Cigna, Cigna, right? Those are the big, you know, blue crosses there. But I just keep thinking, what are all these people doing? There's so many expensive places going up. And what are they all doing? I don't know. Uh, I think a lot of them are from California. Yeah? Yeah. That lot of, there's a lot of California money coming in and buying real estate, cash offers, um, because we're still cheap compared to them. So yeah, true. We, we're getting a lot of investor money from California and people moving from California. Yeah. Maybe it will be the Airbnb capital of, but you know what There's I don't want to do? My wife went to school in Nashville and, um, you know, we'll go back there every once in a while. And it, she said, it's just, I don't recognize it anymore. You know, there's traffic downtown is a mess. And she said, I feel like like she doesn't even want to go to Nashville mm-hmm. now. She doesn't want to go to anything at her alma mater because the idea of going to Nashville is just, and if anybody's listening from Nashville, I'm not, not knocking, not throwing Nashville under the bus, but there's just a lot of traffic and people and it's crowded and there's wait lines and yeah. Well, um, it's a different city. It's a, it's the big city. So you have like, you know, Atlanta, Nashville, big cities. And then we have this, the sweet spot, Chattanooga. I know it's city. perfect size. Yeah. And, Whoever the next mayor is, and we won't get into that because I know you and I both know different candidates that are running for me. I can't even vote. I don't even live in Chattanooga, technically. I oh, live that's in, true. You know, Lookout Mountain is a different zip code. and That's true. We have our own mayor. But, um, you know, they would, I don't know, it'd be interesting to put them, it'd be interesting if you had them all on the show and said, okay. I'd love to. Yeah. Let's have a debate. Mm-hmm. Chattanooga, too big, too small, room for more growth. Uh, I don't think I like debates. I like more conversations. Yeah. I'm not much of an argumentative person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, um, yeah, but I love it here. Um, you know, when I travel in the van and I meet people, um, in fact, here's what, if any of your listeners are out there, you'll, you'll see the van. Um, I've got a sticker on the back that I made. It says visit Boulder, Colorado. It's the Chattanooga of the West. And the irony with that is, is that people used to call Chattanooga the Boulder of the East. Yeah. And I'm like, no, Boulder's the Chattanooga of the West. And you know, the irony to that is that I think, people want to be here. And when I tell people I'm from Chattanooga, they're like, Oh, cool. You know, I've heard of that place mm-hmm. and that used to not happen. And when my wife and I and my son travel in the van in the summer and we go to these cool little mountain towns, you know, a couple summers ago, we took a rafting trip in Idaho and we drove through whitefish, Montana and McCall, Idaho and Victor, uh, uh, Victor, Idaho. And, you know, um, some of these, you know, Crested Butte, Colorado and Basalt and, you know, some of these neat little mountain towns, you know, they all are really cool and they're expensive. But when you kind of look at the whole package, right, you look at restaurants and affordability and how hard is it to go see the dermatologist or, you know, I, I had an accident, I need to go to the hospital or, you know, whatever it is that is we take for granted. Chattanooga is like this like we come home and we're like, yeah, it'd be really cool to live in Telluride, Colorado. But, but when you look at all the different things that 
you have right here in your backyard, like it, this is still the best place. Like I come back here and I think, you know, other than like a crazy expensive small town in the mountains of Colorado, this is the only place that I've been to that I think I really would like to be. And I get to live here every day. So do you. Yeah. I'm, Except when you're not fishing in Alaska. <laughs> I know. No, I'm pretty. So we need to interview you sometime. Uh, well, maybe we'll do that later. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, no, I came here on purpose because Chattanooga is awesome. No. Yeah. I mean, we could have a whole, you could have a whole episode. On, I mean, you're, it, it's called people of Chattanooga. That's why I'm doing the podcast. Yeah. Because I, and Chattanooga is awesome, not only for all the activities, but because the people live here and I, I love, yeah, I love meeting all uh, you know, I love meeting people that live here. So yeah. When I went paddle boarding with you the other day, mm-hmm. you know, we got in the water. Of course you didn't know this, you know, but everybody's like, Hey Luke, you know, it was like, you know, Norm from cheers. Like everybody <laughs> knew you <laughs> and, and you haven't even been here that long. Four and years. I think that's so cool because you know, it's, it's a community, it's a town, you know, you have, you have characters, you know, you, you've, you've had, you have interesting, um, I think you're going to have, um, a good friend of mine on a upcoming broadcast, Genesis gray kid, who's this, you know, artist, you know, a poet, mm-hmm. he's a fascinating guy. Yeah, and I've been that. really fortunate to get to know him over the last several years. And people are, your guests, your listeners are going to get to listen to him. And Seth Cathy was really interesting. Yep. I enjoyed that. Um, I listened to the, I was actually building some shelves the other day and I listened to the Aaron Hoffman mm-hmm. episode. You know, that was sort of fascinating to learn about elders, ACE hardware and you, Yep. Like, hey man, I'm in Michigan hardware store and I found your hot sauce. Yeah. You know, Chattanooga baby. Yeah, he lives just three houses down from me. Yeah. And you know, um, have you had um Thomas Persinger? Yeah, I found him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I need to go back and listen to that. You know, Thomas commercial fisherman and a bush pilot from Alaska. And oh, yeah. He's living here. I mean, there's so many interesting stories. Yeah. I, yeah, and, and I love uh meeting these people. Everyone has a story. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? So that's what I, you know, and another reason for this podcast is like, we got our phones off to the side, airplane mode. We're like focused. We're looking at each other. It, we live in this air. It's so hard. We're six feet apart. We are six feet apart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We measured it. But, yep. Before we started. Tape measure on the table. But yep. um, it's so hard to have a real conversation with all these distractions these days. So I, this is another excuse to just sit down and have a genuine, real conversation that, that all humans need. Yeah. And um, not all humans are getting. So, yeah. And I, you know, it's funny. They say that you really are only friends with like 12 or 13 people. Yeah. Like we may have a thousand friends on social media and, or I think Chad the Van has 1,300 followers, but I don't know a lot of these people, right? Yeah. Obviously. But, um, you know, there's this one friend of mine um, named Rink Murray. He's a reproductive endocrinologist here in town. So he's a fertility doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, lives up the street from me. Um, one of my really good friends, he's the kind of guy that um, I can call and say, hey, Rank, I need a really good book recommendation. And he'll have like read something very cerebral at times. And I was like, why did you like it? And then we're still like talking about it an hour later and I've already ordered the book and um, he's telling me why he likes it. And I love stuff like that. I love genuine, authentic relationships. I've never lived in a place where um, that I've been where I've really had great people around me, like before Chattanooga. Wow. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I've been here a long time, but mm-hmm. yeah, and this has been great getting to know you. Um, over the last, uh, you know, just the different connections that we have, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, we all have jobs and stuff, you know, there's so many great, great, interesting people to hang out with in town. Mm-hmm. Well, Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, man. It's been great. Um, um, you throw these out, what, every week, every two weeks? Every week. Every, every week? Friday. Every Friday? Uh-huh. All right. Yep. That's it. That's it. Thanks. Well, hey, yeah, thanks. And um, Chad the Van? Chad the Van. Oh, yeah. This is and, the part um, where People you- of Chattanooga? Yep. Site 7 camper vans? Yep. Who else? Uh, Genesis Gray Kid? Uh-huh. Um, and can we the t- artist on Instagram? And... Can These we, are all non-paid plugs. Yes. And uh, so you're... Mojo name, Burrito, Mojo, my favorite burrito place, hole in the ground, we, hole in the wall. We have to talk about what you showed me before this podcast started. Um, Genesis is a great kid, yep. did album art for Kanye West. 
He did for a song that has not been officially released yet. And if you look closely on that album art, your name is scratched into it. Yeah, the song's yeah, I know. It's the song's called Brothers, and it's about his relationship with Jay Z. And mm-hmm. I think there's some kind of drama there. Okay. In that, I don't really, I don't listen to a lot of that kind of music, so I don't really know kind of what that was. But the song Brothers is going to be released, and so somehow Kanye's lawyer knows Genesis' lawyer, and they got Genesis to do the album cover. Mm-hmm. And so it just says Brothers, and um, in fact, it's on. It's on Chad Devan's Instagram page. You can see it there. It's also on Genesis Instagram page, but it has all these different people names on it that were brothers. And it's like Matt Damon and um, Ben Affleck yep. and Paul McCartney and John Lennon and Kanye West and Jay Z. So there's, it's probably got 50 different names. And if you look right above the T and the H, it says Matt McClellan and ring Murray. <laughs> it's amazing. That's so cool. I know. I know. My like 14 seconds of fame maybe, on something that hasn't even been released yet. Maybe Ch- Chad the Van will now get more followers. Yeah, 13. Yeah, 1302. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Hey, man, thanks for having me. It's been great. Yeah, it's great. Yep. All right. Talk to you later. And there you have it. That's Matt McLelland, a.k.a. Chad the Van. Hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. If you like the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Tell your friends. Word of mouth is great. Look us up on Instagram at People of Chattanooga. And otherwise, come back next week for the next show. Bye.